begin in verse 9 of Acts chapter 16. says in verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And verse 10 says, And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. And y'all bear with me this morning. I had about 30 pages of notes of another sermon that I thought I was going to preach this morning. And, and when I was praying and doing my study and my devotion Thursday morning, God told me, no, I don't want you to preach that. I want you to preach this. So y'all bear with me. And I believe that God has a, has a word for the Lord this morning or a word for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity, God, to be in your house, God, for the liberty, God, and the presence that we feel in this place this morning, God. And we pray, God, that this morning, God, that your word, God, would go forth, God, with boldness, God, that your word would go forth, God, with authority, God. I pray, God, that you would speak through me this morning, God, and I pray, God, that your word, God, would find good ground, God, that your good word, God, would find good ground this morning, God. And I pray, God, that you would bind up, God, every distraction, God, every, every, every Every distraction of the enemy, God, that would try to come against our minds this morning, God. And I pray, God, that your word, God, would go forth, God, and that your call, God, would go forth this morning, God, and that we would hear it, God, and we would surrender ourselves to it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. And so if you still have your Bibles open, uh, I'm going to go a little bit through Acts chapter 15 also. And so you find in Acts chapter 15 that there was a council meeting in Jerusalem, and, and it was there mainly so Paul and Barnabas, you know, when they get back from their first missionary journey, that they come back and they, they tell the report of the things that they did and, the, and the, the, uh, the events that happened on their first missionary journey. And so when they come back and they tell of those reports, but there's also a, a talking point that came up where there were two Jewish men that were going around the certain churches and that they were preaching that you, in order for you to be saved, you must still be circumcised under the circumcision of Moses. And so the, the council, they, they talk about this and they, they begin to discuss these things and they come to a decision that, you know what, we're going we're gonna to send uh, Paul and Barnabas and we're also going to send Judas and Silas with them also and we're going to write letters to these churches and, and we're going to have these letters delivered but we're also going to send Paul and Barnabas to speak again to these churches and, and so they send Paul and Barnabas to, to a place called Antioch and it's a place that apparently according to scripture was, was a comfortable place for, for them to go minister at and uh, Antioch must have been a place that was experiencing growth, it must have been a place that was experiencing some type of spiritual maturity there and and after after all verse 34 in Acts chapter 15 says that it pleased Silas to stay there and to and to continue to minister there and and also it you know it was a place where Paul and Barnabas could stay a couple more days and they could minister there and and you know what I can look at that and I think sometimes as a as a young minister it's easy for me to get in the comfort zone it's easy for me to get in a place where I feel comfortable at and to use the position that I have right now as a parking spot, as a, as a place where I want to stay here because I'm comfortable with what I'm doing and I'm not so comfortable with what I'm doing right now. But in general, you know, I'm comfortable in this church. 
You know, I'm comfortable in, in the spot that, that I have. In this. I'm comfortable sitting on the pews in this church and participating in the worship and participating in the, in the word and participating in the activities that goes on in this church. And it's easy for us to use that space as a, as a parking spot because it's in our comfort zone. And, you know, we don't want to leave our comfort zone. We don't want to get out and, and face the pressures that might be outside of that comfort zone. We don't want to leave because there might be pain and there might be inconveniences outside of that, that place that we're parked at. But for Paul, the church in Antioch wasn't just a parking lot, but it was a launching pad for his ministry. And you know what? Paul decided in his mind that he can't settle down to a comfortable ministry, that he can't settle down to a place of comfort, to a parking spot ministry, as long as there were doors for him to go and preach the gospel to lost souls. And so in the words of Robertson McQuilkin, in a world where nine out of every ten people are lost, Three, of our, three out of every four of those people have never heard the way out. And one out of every two of those people, they can't hear at all. And so still the church sleeps on. But could it be that we think that there's another way for them to make it? Could it be that, you know, we don't really care all that much? And I'm speaking to myself here, and you guys just have a front row seat to it. And so have I become so comfortable in playing church and have I become so comfortable in going through the motions in church and experiencing the emotional highs of a Pentecostal church service that I've let complacently come in and I've let I become comfortable in my calling. I become comfortable where I'm at. You know what? God help me that I don't let comfort come in and cloud the vision that God has given me. God help me that I don't let complacency come in and interrupt the voice of the call of God that's on my life. You see, Paul cared. There was something about it that, that there, there's got to be whenever all the emotion and the fire dies out and all the, all the things that we experience, like Brother Harrelson was talking about, we come in and we get that emotional buzz whenever we come to church, but is there really a conversion that happens in our hearts? Is there really a change that happens in our hearts before we leave? Is there something that really convicts and speaks to us before we leave, or is it just another emotional buzz, and are we still the same person throughout the week, but yet we're right on Sundays? You know, there's got to be something about it that whenever I walk out in the middle of the week and all the emotion and all the fire fades away, that there's still got to be something about it, that God's righteousness and the Holy Ghost still shines the light, and that I'm still a witness whenever I walk outside of these doors. And so Paul cared, and, and so should we. And so you see in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, that Paul cared so much that he and Barnabas felt the need to go on a second missionary journey and to visit every city where they had preached. But you find in verses 37 through 39 that there was a disagreement on the composition of the team that would go with them. So Paul and Barnabas disagree on whether they should take Mark with them to join their journey or not. And, uh, verse 39 says that the contention with them was so sharp, it was so... The, the disagreement was so heavy that they had, to, they had to part ways. They had to separate and go different ways. And so here you had two men who agreed on the importance of, the, of this second missionary journey. You had two men that agreed that it was important for them to go reach lost souls, but they couldn't agree on who was going to go with them. And so you had two dedicated men of God who, who just helped bring unity to a church in Antioch, and they just helped bring unity to other churches on their missionary journey, and yet they couldn't settle their own disagreements. They couldn't settle their own arguments amongst themselves, and so they had to, they had to part ways. And so when I'm reading this, I was asking myself, you know, I wonder who was actually right in this argument. But we began to realize it doesn't really matter who was right in this disagreement. It doesn't matter who 
you know, the, the if, ands, or buts of the argument. Both of them might have been right. Both of them might have been wrong. It doesn't really matter. But the point of the matter is that there's a painful fact of life that good, godly, Holy Ghost-filled people are still going to get in disagreements within the church sometimes. But you know what? And I'm not going to meddle because I'm talking to myself. But you know what? I'm not always going to agree with everyone. I'm not always going to get along with everyone. You know what? There's going to be times where I might have a disagreement with somebody else in the congregation, but you know what? I can't dwell on that disagreement. I can't dwell on whether I'm right or whether Brother Adam is wrong or, or whether Brother Johnny is wrong. I can't dwell on this and that. I can't dwell on the pains of, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the arguments. I can't dwell on the things that might jade me because that might cause disunity between me and another believer. Or I may have a different opinion than someone else. I may hear some things or someone may say something to me that might hurt my feelings or might rub me the wrong way, but that doesn't give me a right to, to cause disunity in the body. You know what? God help me that I don't become so hurt and so jaded by things that people say and so offended by things that people say that I turn my back on God and that I walk out on the calling that it begins to block the voice of God in my life. You know what? Me and Brother Adam, I don't... I'm using that as an example. Me and Brother Adam, we may not agree on everything, but you know what, brother, I still love you. I may not be able to, to walk all this ways with you on this missionary journey, but I still love you. And I know that, that God may have a plan for you over here. He has a plan for me in the other direction. But you know what? God still has a plan and he still has a purpose. I'm not going to dwell on the disagreements. I'm not going to dwell on the things that can come and cloud the vision that's in my mind. I can't dwell on the things that, that may cause disunity between me and him because he my brother and God has a plan and purpose for both of us and then we allow those things and those that bitterness sometimes to come in and, and plant a seed in our hearts and it begins to plant a seed in our minds and it begins to jade the vision you know and God help us whenever we let bitterness and oppression and and, and, and offended nature come in and cloud the vision that God has in our lives and so we're not perfect people and I'm definitely not a perfect person and so Paul, he also wasn't a perfect person. And he actually says it himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. It says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency comes from God. And so God calls people who may have limitations. And he calls people who may have little imperfections in their lives. And he calls people that may have those imperfections. And, and they depend on his grace and his sufficiency. And they depend on him alone. And so you see in the first few verses of Acts chapter 16 that Paul and Silas, that they go through places called Derby and, and Lystra, and that's when they run across Timothy. And then they preach the message that they received at the council in Jerusalem. And these churches that they visited, they were established in faith, and, and they, they were increasing in number daily. But you find in, in verse six, verses 6 and 7 that God kept them from traveling to Asia and, and Bithynia. And so just one chapter ago, Paul, he, he has to part ways with his traveling buddy Barnabas. And just a couple verses ago, Paul, again, he's encouraged by the condition of the churches that he visits. But now all of a sudden there's an interruption in Paul's plans. There's an interruption in Paul's travel plans. And the Bible doesn't say that God offered a reason. It just says that the Spirit suffered them not. And so my question, my first question today is, have you ever been, has your plans ever been interrupted you know, have you been planning on going on a vacation, but then your job calls you, you know, you, you can't go. You got to come to work that week. 
or you're traveling somewhere, you have a flat tire, and you know you get suffer the aggravations of, of interrupted plans, and you know what, there's times in our lives where we feel like things are going great, and everything's falling into place, everything is going smoothly, and then all of a sudden God slams that door right in your face, and, and you're wondering, you know what, what am I supposed to do from here? Where am I supposed to go from here? You know what, I had all this planned out. I had everything up to this point planned out, but God, why did you close that door? Because it seemed like everything was going good. It seemed like everything was going right. You know, and it's a hurtful feeling when a door gets slammed in your face. It's a disheartening feeling whenever that door gets closed right in front of your face. And you feel like you get stuck in a period of waiting when you don't know where you're going to go from here. You don't know where the next step is going to lead you. You say, God, I had everything planned out. I had a plan for the future. I had dreams and visions of what I could accomplish. And when God closes that door and you think it's over, and you, you say to yourself, I don't know anymore. I'm stuck here in this, in this waiting room, and I don't quite have the vision that I had before these doors closed. And, and God's telling you, no, I don't want you to walk through those doors right now. Maybe later, maybe two chapters later, whenever Paul finally gets to go into Asia. But, but God closed that door at that period in time, and God has a plan and a, a perfect plan and a perfect purpose. And so if, you have, if your Bibles have a map, and I know, don't, y'all don't lie to me this morning. Uh, I know sometimes y'all read through the maps while the preaching is going on. And don't pretend like I'm the only one who's ever done that. And uh, So I, I remember those days whenever I was little, I couldn't quite grasp the importance of hearing the words. So I'm flipping through the maps and trying to track my fingers along where all, they all traveled. And I'm like, I wonder how long it took to get here and here and, and this and that. And wouldn't it be cool to travel there and see all that? And then, you know, I'm sorry, Brother Harrelson, but... <laughs> But, uh, you know, if your Bible has a map, you can look and you can see the, the path that Paul's second uh, missionary journey looked like. You can, you can see the, the distance that he traveled. You know, sometimes it tells you how long it took for Paul to get from place to place. And so you find when Paul leaves Lystra and he passes through Iconium, he aims to take a, a northwestward turn into the region of Asia. But God says, no, not right now. Right whenever he's making that turn and he's almost there and God says, no, I don't want you to go there right now. You can't go in there and preach yet. And so then Paul keeps moving without an exact word from God on where exactly to go. And he aims to take a, a northward path to, to Bithynia. But God closes that door also. And according to the map that's in my Bible, he almost gets there before God closes the door. And so what does Paul keep doing? He says, okay, I don't understand why, but Paul keeps on moving. And even though God closed those doors, Paul never stopped moving. Even though God closed the doors for his ministry in those particular places, Paul never, Paul never turned back. Paul never said that it's over with now. I'm just going to go back to Jerusalem. You know what? Paul never turned back because he knew that God had a perfect plan for his life. There may have been a period of silence where Paul didn't know where he was supposed to go. There may have been a period where God wasn't speaking to him, but he knew that he had to keep on moving. You know, and sometimes, sometimes I think in speaking to me, I, I wish I know where I would be five years from now. I wish I would know sometimes where I'd be 10 years from now. But you know, the more I think about it, I think that it, if I seen the, the overwhelming things that I would have to overcome in that period of time, it might cause me to backslide. And if, if it didn't cause me to backslide, maybe my ego would become so big that 
if the overwhelming things and the trials didn't get me, maybe my ego would get me. And so God, that's why God doesn't reveal his will to us in that way. But you know what? God wants us to take steps of faith sometimes whenever he's not speaking to us, whenever there's a period of silence and you're you're waiting on a word, but maybe he's wanting you to take that step of faith and to keep on moving and to keep on working. And so Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If we faint not. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58 says, Therefore, my brethren, be ye steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So just because God closes that door, or just because he says, No, I don't want you to go there yet, I have something else for you right now. That doesn't mean that it's time to turn around and quit, but that just means it's time to to take another step of faith somewhere and to keep moving and to keep working because God has a perfect plan. God has a calling on your life. And so I can can look back in in my life, and while I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of of a short period in my life where I was unsure of what I was supposed to be doing. I was unsure of what exactly my career was going to be. I was unsure of what I wanted to do with my life. And so, I, you know, and then, and then there came a time where, you know, I decided I want to go to college. I want to become a physical therapist. And so it was that point that I started mapping everything out. And, it, and you know what, when I graduated high school, that was my plans. I wanted to go to college, um, go to South Alabama, go get into physical therapy school. Eventually on my own practice, I had everything mapped out to a T, I tell you. I, it was all mapped out. It was it was a good plan. I thought it was a perfect plan. And you know what? I can have a good living. I can live the American dream. I can live my, uh, as someone would say, my best life now. I can, I can live my best life now. I can do a job that I'm going to be loving. I can, I can do everything that I had planned out. But God closed that door. And so then I'm like, okay, what am I going to do now? And so then I thought about, you know what? I'm working in a retail. Maybe I can get my business degree, I can work my way up into management, and I can maybe one of these days own my own business. After all, that was always my dream was to be an entrepreneur, own my own business, you know, make, you know, make my own money, be the boss, basically. Um, and so that door closed. And so I'm wondering, you know what, God, where am I, what am I supposed to do now? You know, what, what, what am I going to do with my life? I'm 20-something years old. I'm still living at home. I don't, I don't have my own life. I'm still relying on my parents' way, and I'm still relying on them to provide for me, and I have a minimum wage job. I see all my friends from high school. They, they're either in the Marines or, or in some part of the military, or they've graduated from college. They have their nursing degrees, and, and they're making this, all this money, and they're able to provide for themselves. And at that point in time, some of them had their own families, and they were, they were living a good life, and here I am. I'm making minimum wage and, and no degree, and I'm feeling like an utter failure because everything that I felt like I put my hands on, it seemed like everything had just come to naught. It seemed like everything just, just failed, like it was I was wasting my life away. I didn't know where I was supposed to be going, but I remember the 2013 at Youth Congress, there was a sermon that was, uh, taught, that was preached by Brother David McGovern, and the title was Above All the Call, and I suggest some of you young people that 
you know, maybe you were too young to really remember that, uh, that message. Go back and look it up on YouTube. It's called Above All the Call by Brother David McGovern. And it wasn't at that particular time that I gave myself to God, but a couple years later after I graduated high school and all these things transpired in my life that I went back and I looked that message up and then I began, I gave myself to God. I, I gave myself to God's calling that was on my life. And you see, the, the mistake that I made is that I thought that I could have my plans and my dreams and, and my ambitions. And I felt the call of God. I felt the call to preach. I felt the call to go somewhere. But I thought that I could intertwine my plans with God's plans. But it doesn't work that way, though. You're either all in or you're, or you're all out. And so when those doors closed and I felt lost and confused and like a failure and I questioned and I doubted that God even had a plan for my life. And so I remembered this sermon and so I, I looked it up and listened to it. And I gave myself to the call of God that was on my life. And so this past week, I went back and I listened to it again. And, and, I re, and you know, I, I rededicated myself. God, I want to do what, what you have planned for my life. I want to answer the call that's on my life. Where there's something that I begin to realize is that through all the pain, through all the difficulties, through a short but doubtful and dark time in my life where I was full of doubt and I felt like I was hopeless and a fairy that God had his hands in the mix the whole time. That through the, through the pains, through the failures, through the times where I thought like I, I felt like I was nothing, like I was insufficient, God had his, he had a perfect plan. He had a perfect will. You know what? You know what? God may be speaking to someone this morning who may be full of unbelief. He may be speaking to someone who's, whose faith might be weak. He may be speaking to someone that you're in a period of silence and you don't know where to take the next step. But you may be on the threshing floor. You may be in a waiting room, but God has a perfect plan for your life. Don't let those things in the past, don't let the things that you're going through now cloud the vision that God has given you. And so when, when Paul is forbidden to go to Bithynia, he, he tracks back westward and he begins to pass through the, the province of Elijah and he comes to a place called Troas. And that's a place where it, it, it's, a, it's a good, it's a good, oh, I'm looking for the word. It's a good place for a port to be because it is pretty much the connector between Asia and Europe. And so people can take these boats and they can, and they can travel across the Mediterranean and they can, they can go to Europe. And so Paul passes through Maja and he gets to this port city at, at Troas. And you find in verse 9 that in the middle of the night, after all these no's that God, that God and all these closed doors that God and these blockades that God put in Paul's way, forbidding him to go into Bithynia and Asia, and, and he comes to Troas, and I'm sure he's feeling a little bit of a level of disappointment. And I feel, I, you know, these things may have come as a, a surprise to him that God said, no, you can't go in here and preach the gospel there yet because he, he came to Troas, and God had a plan that night that he was going to give him a vision of a Macedonian man that was going to be crying out for help. And so you find that in verse 9 that the Macedonian vision comes to Paul in the night. And in verse 10, it says that immediately they endeavored to go to Macedonia because they were sure that God had called them to preach there. You know what? There was no question about whether that was God calling them or not. There was no question about whether that was just a, a flash of emotion, something that they could just let die, or whether that was the call of God. That, that that's, where, that's where I want you to go right now, Paul. I want you to go to Macedonia to preach to these people. And so because Paul knew that God was the one who closed the doors, and the God was the one that was calling the Macedonia, which shows me that there was a level of spiritual discernment that was in Paul's life. And so 
That shows that Paul knew the voice of God, and, and Paul knew how God was going to speak to him. He, he knew that from past experiences that that's how, that's how God spoke to him. And you know what? We've got to know God's voice in our life. In a generation where we're bombarded by the voices of Hollywood and we're bombarded by the voices of entertainment and politicians and the voices of mainstream media and even people who are crying out with passion and making sure that their voices are the ones that's heard, we got to make sure that, you know what, it's, it's easy to tune into those things. It's easy to tune into what the, what the talking heads are saying. It's easy to tune into the things that he says and, the, and that she says. But above all, we got to make sure that we tune in to what the voice of God God is speaking to us above everything. It doesn't matter what politics say. It doesn't matter what Hollywood says. We have to turn those things off and we have to listen to the voice of God that's calling us. We have to have a daily walk with God. We got to have a, a daily relationship with God. We can't ignore our time in the word of God. We can't ignore our time in prayer and communion with God and our time in, in fasting and in sacrifice with God. But we've got to give ourselves to a daily devotion because we have to have a walk with God. I've got to have spiritual desires. I've got to fall into a place of, a place of prayer and fasting because there's a voice that's speaking to me. There's a voice that's calling me to a deeper place, to a deeper level. I can't just ride on the coattail of my parents. I can't just ride on the coattail of my heritage, but there's something that I've got to get for myself because there's a voice that's speaking to me this morning. There's a voice that's calling you this morning. Are you going to ride on the coattail of heritage? Or are you going to ride on the coattail of the pastors? Are you going to get down and get it for yourself and hear the word for yourself? And so Paul knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was God that was calling him to Macedonia. And so now consider the, the state that Macedonia was in. We know that Macedonia was a place, apparently, that hadn't been preached at yet. And there was no churches in Macedonia. There, there, we know that Macedonia was a Roman province. And so we know that their religion was a, was a practice that was steeped in superstition and, and mysticism. And their, their worship included drunkenness and sexual immorality and humanism and Philosophy it abounded in Athens, and witchcraft and sorcery were popular practices in Ephesus, and included calling on demons and using mind-altering jugs. And everywhere that one went, there was racial and political tensions, and there, and there were voices that were crying out, saying, let my voice be heard. And then there, were, there was all this immorality, iniquity, and sin that was abounding in Macedonia. And yet Paul, he still didn't question God's call to go preach there. Yeah, Paul, he said, he didn't, he didn't say that, God, you see the dirtiness of these people? You see that they're drunken, that they're involved in sexual immorality? You see the, the superstition and the mysticism and the vain philosophies and the, and the deceits that they preach there? But yeah, Paul didn't say, God, I don't believe you're calling me there. I believe that you're calling me to Asia. But Paul, he was so passionate. He was so passionate for the lost that he knew that it was God calling him to preach to these, these dirty Macedonians. He knew that God was calling him to preach to these lost souls. And so some might say that we, we can't respond to the Macedonian call today. You know, I would say that's a false statement because the Macedonian call was a call for help. So sin is destroying the, the souls of people every day. Sin is burdening people down. They're becoming 
bound and they're becoming blinded by sin and ungodliness and immorality are practiced and it's promoted on every front. You see homosexuality being promoted in, in every mainstream media. They're promoting it and they're saying that you ought to tolerate it. abortion, things that are contrary to what the Word says and, and the world is telling you that you ought to support these things, that you ought not to judge these things. You ought not to judge these things according to the Word and they're saying what the Word says is no longer important, whether it's outdated. And you have these voices speaking and they're, and they're hollering at you saying that, you know what, you need to conform. You need to be more like us. But you see drugs and alcohol abuse, it continues to destroy lives. Children, they're abused. Innocent blood is shed. And the people continue to live in hate and in suspicion of those who may have different views than them. Our freedom of speech and our freedom of religion is under attack. And the church is under constant pressure. And there's a spirit of the Antichrist and the spirit of Jezebel that's literally seeking to shut the church up. That's literally seeking to shut the mouth of believers and the church is under constant pressure, but yet there's a Macedonian call that's coming. There's a Macedonian call that's calling us. Oh, help me, help me. Oh, and, the, and the people in this nation, they wring their hands and they wonder, how is it that we can solve these problems? They wonder what, what ideas and what, what policies can we come up with to solve these problems? And there's only one way, but who's going to tell them? Who's going to show them? Oh, Jesus, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. So my question to you today is that in the middle of all the darkness, in the middle of all the chaos, can you hear the Macedonian crying out for help this morning? Can you hear the call that's going forth this morning? Can you hear God calling you? You know what? There's a certain frequency that, that God speaks to us at. You find it in, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, that God calls. God begins to call Samuel in the first four verses. He calls Samuel in the time where it says the word was... The word was precious, which means that the word of God was rare. It wasn't very, it wasn't spoken of much in those days. And it was a time where the sons of Eli, they were offering up strange sacrifices. But, but there was a, a young child who was dedicated to the Lord by his mother, Hannah. And she, uh, and she said, God, I'm going to give this child to you for that service so he can serve you. I'm going to give him back to you. And, and Samuel, he's called in the time where the word of God is very rare. It's, it says it's precious. And it says that Eli, his eyes begin to wax dim and, and he falls asleep. And, and you know, the lamp of God, and he, they, they, they stay close to the ark of God and the lamp of God was still lit, but it was dim. And God begins to call Samuel. Samuel, he calls his name four times in the fourth time. He calls his name twice, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel says, here I am, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. And you find it again in, whenever God calls Moses. When Moses flees because he because he beats and he and he and he slays the Egyptian, and he runs into the land of the Midianites, and for forty years, forty years Moses goes without even hearing a word from God, and then all of a sudden he's leading the sheep in the backside of the in the backside of the wilderness, and then he looks up and he sees the bush that's burning, and he walks up. He says, "I got to see what this is," and God begins to speak to him, and after forty years of no word. There's only, only Moses could have answered that call. Only Samuel could have answered that call. You know, there's a frequency that God calls us at that only we know what it is. I can't tell you what God's called you to do. I can't, I can't reveal to you what God's plan is for your life. 
only you know that. Only you know that. And so, and so you see where, where God calls people whenever they're young. So young people today, that there's a frequency that God's calling you that only you can understand, that only you can hear, that there's a frequency, that there's a sound that only you can respond to. An elder can't answer it for you. The pastors can't answer it for you. You know what, your mother and your father, they can't answer it for you, but there's a frequency that God is calling you, and you must answer it. We need, we need in this generation young men and young women who's going to rise to the occasion, who's going to carry the banner of the gospel. We need in this generation also elders who are going to continue to dream those dreams and, and see those visions. we got to get behind the, the vision of the elders. Acts chapter 2, verse 17 speaks that our sons and our daughters are going to prophesy. Our young men are going to see visions. Our old men are going to dream dreams. I'm telling you, we need the dreams of the elders. We need the dreams of the elders. Please push us to go to a deeper level. You were once in our shoes. You were once the ones that were called to carry the banner. But I pray, I plead with you, keep pushing us to go to a deeper level. And so another question is this morning, what is the call? And I'm not going to feel bad about doing this. I, I'll be honest with you. I, Brother Harrelson, I was listening to your sermon about a month ago, and it was about the call, of, the four calls to a soul winner. So don't get mad at me because I stole some of your points. But uh, the first point is, yeah, see, that shows I was listening. I wasn't, I wasn't looking at the maps. And so the, the first call is that I'm going to mention is the call from above. And so Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. In verse 19, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And verse 20 says, Teaching them to deserve all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so this passage is familiar to us as Christians, and it's called the Great Commission. And since this declaration applies to us as believers. We need to understand the factors of the Great Commission. And so the first factor in the Great Commission is that there is an authority. And in verse 18, the word power means authority. And so you find in the entire book of Matthew that Matthew stresses the authority of Jesus. You know, he stresses that there was an authority in Jesus' teachings. He, you know what, Jesus had authority in healing. He had authority even in forgiving sins. And he had authority over Satan, and he even delegated that authority to his apostles. And Matthew made it clear that Jesus has all authority. And since Jesus has all authority today, we can obey him, and we can take those steps of faith without fear of what may come. You know, come what may, wherever he leads me, no matter what circumstance I face, I know that he's in control. Because by his death and by his resurrection, he defeated all the enemies, and he won for himself all authority. And so... We read in the, when we read in the book of Acts, we see that the early church operated on the basis of God's sovereign authority. You know what? They ministered in, in Jesus' name. You even find whenever, whenever Peter, he was, he come before the government officials and they said, you can speak in any name, you can preach in any name that you want to, but just don't mention the name of Jesus. But Peter says, no, neither is there salvation in any other because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You know what? They faced, you know, they depended on his power and his guidance. You know, we're not going to face a lost world on the basis of our own authority, but we're going to face it on the authority of Jesus Christ. And so the second factor of the Great Commission is, you, uh, is an activity. There's an activity involved in it. And the Greek word 
Well, first, I'm going to say that the first word that you see in Matthew 28, 19 is go. And here in this context, it's a present participle. It's not necessarily an action verb. It is, but the way we see it is that we need to go. But it's a present participle. And so the command in the Great Commission is actually to teach all nations or to make, dis make disciples of all nations in the baptize. And so since the word go in this context is a present participle, it means that the disciples were already going somewhere. You know, what? they were already doing something. They were already moving in a certain direction. So Jesus tells them, while you're going, while you're already moving, while you're working, why don't you make disciples of all nations? He's telling them no matter where you are, no matter, no matter where you're at, you may be on that job that you can't stand. You may be around that, in that home that has a lost spouse or, or lost loved ones. You may be in that college classroom you know what, in the end, you're hearing all that nonsense that's being preached to you, and yet you're called to be a witness in the place that you're at. So matter, no matter where or what situation, the authority and the righteousness of God is revealed through us. It's revealed through us, the Holy Ghost-filled Christians. And so this morning, can you hear that Macedonian man calling out for you to witness to him? Can you hear that Macedonian man calling out for someone, please teach me what the Word says, please Come get me and come put me in that baptistry. Please baptize me. Please, I want to know about the Holy Ghost. Please, I want to know the truth. Amongst all the, uh, all the chaos in this fallen world, there are sinners that are crying out, please, someone, come and help me. Please, someone, come preach the truth to me. Please, don't be ashamed of it. Why? Because it's the power of God and the salvation. And so... According to the book of Romans, in, in the first three chapters, it says that all men have an opportunity to know God through nature and through their conscience. And it also says that all men are condemned as sinners, whether they are judged by the law or by the conscience. And so, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Paul answers this, and he, and he counters this, and he says, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no other way for you to be saved except that you be born again. There's no other way unless you be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the, in, with the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And so clearly, according to Scripture, God doesn't count the ones who have not heard as innocent because it's been revealed to them by law and by faith and, uh, and through their conscience. And so the only way to be saved is by, the, is by calling out to Jesus. And so Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they haven't heard? And how shall they believe in him of whom they how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Can you hear it this morning? Can you hear the call that's going forth this morning? Someone come and preach the gospel to me. Someone come and let me know the truth to send the word of God. Can you hear the call that's going forth out of Macedonia? Or have you lost the vision? You see, there's also a call that comes from beneath. You find the, this familiar passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 16. And you see in verse 23 about the rich man and Lazarus that, that their, their souls ended up in two drastically different places. That Lazarus was escorted by angels to Abraham's bosom. But the rich man, he wound up in, in hell. The the abode of the dead, a place of utter torment. And so you find in verse 21, or verse 20, verses 27 through 31, that since the rich man couldn't find any other solution, he couldn't find any other relief out of this place of, of torment, that 
that, that, that he, he calls out to Abraham from the flames and from the torment that he's in. He says, can you send Lazarus down to warn my family? Can you send him down to warn them before it's too late? And I wonder today, how many, how many men and women would answer the call if you could hear it coming from beneath? If you could hear the screams coming from hell, please, someone, tell my family members. Someone, please, tell them about the truth. Someone, please, preach to them about the saving power of Jesus. Someone, please, be a witness to them. Compel them to come in. I wonder if we could hear a sermon from hell, how, how it would convict us, how it would push us when we walk outside of these doors to be that witness. And so the third call you have is the call from within. And we've already seen that in Acts chapter 16, verse 9, that Paul receives that vision in the night, that Macedonian call. And he had such a passion for that call that he had to respond to it immediately. There was no wasting any time. There was no, I'll have to wait till tomorrow. I, I, I need to get some time of rest. I need to, I can, it can wait a couple days. No, Paul had, he had such a passion for the call that he responded to it immediately. You know, if he would have waited longer, it would have been too late for somebody else. If he would have waited another day, another hour, it would have been another day or hour too late for someone else. And so you, you find that the distance from where he was at at Troas to, to a place called Neapolis and then traveling to the port of Philippi was a distance about 150 miles, about a two-day journey, probably a, a hard journey, a tiring journey, but yet... Paul had such a passion for it that he said, I have to get up immediately because I've endeavored that it's been the Holy Ghost that called me to Macedonia, that I have to go there and I have to preach this gospel to this place that's never heard it before. And so he says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the love of Christ constrains him, that the love of Christ literally urges him, that the love of God literally bends his will it literally burdens him for the lost. It literally breaks him for the lost. When's the last time that you got down and, and you pray, God, break me. God, break me for the lost. When you get someone on your mind and you say, God, break me. God, break me. When's the last time you got in the place of intercession for that lost loved one? When's the last time you got in the place of intercession for that person on your job that's been getting on your nerves, and, but, but you have to witness to them? Get in the place of intercession. And so the love of God should constrain us. It should urge us. And so I'm, I'm coming to a close, and you can get ready to stand. And Sister Regina, you can get ready to come up. Uh, it's the love of God urging you this morning. Is it pushing you? Is the, is the love that Jesus showed whenever he died on that cross for your sins, is it enough to push you to tell someone else about what he did for you? Is it enough to push you to that place where I've got to reach somebody else? Is it enough to push you to the place that you bear witness about the truth that's been revealed to you? It's got to get outside of these walls. So can you hear that Macedonian call this morning? Can you hear the call coming, going forth this morning? Can you hear the call? Can you hear the Macedonian saying, who's going to answer? Who's going to go? Who's going to tell me? I wonder this morning if there's going to be anyone that, that looks back on this day on, on March 14th and they say it was around the time of 12.15 on Sunday morning on March 14th that that's the time that I surrendered myself to God's will, that I laid everything else down, nothing else matters anymore. I've got to reach the lost. Who's going to look back on this day and, they're going to, and you're going to say that today is the day that, today is the day that I answered the call to go. Today is the day that I answered the call to, to give that person a Bible study. Today is the day that I answered the call to go to the mission field. 
the, the day that I answered the call to, to, to some type of ministry, who's going to go? Who's going to answer? Why don't you close your eyes this morning? And if there's someone that's on your heart this morning, why don't we make this a place of intercession? And if you, if you yourself are a Macedonian this morning that's crying out for help, there's an altar this morning of repentance. There's an altar this morning where you can make a covenant with God. Oh, Jesus. The altars are open this morning.